This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. So I am now having the opportunity to speak to Cy Vance, who, as you know, was our celebrated longtime district attorney. Okay, Cy, what period were you our DA? Uh, Cindy, I was the district attorney in three uh, successive terms from 2010 through 2021. And what kind of lousy things were going on in our lives in those days? (laughs) Well, there were many lousy things, but there were some good (laughs) things, too. We were able in the decade, Cindy, between 2010 and 2020 to drive down shootings, homicides, robberies to levels that had not been seen since the 1970s. When COVID hit in 2020, that really tossed everything, not just in New York, but all around the country in every major city. That destabilized, I think, almost every major city in America. But what was done between 2010 and 2020 was simply remarkable, and it makes the increase in violence since mid-2020 all the more concerning and upsetting. Yeah, well, were you back now, would you be able to handle what's going on now that we're the Wild West? <laughs> um, well, we, we, we started the DA's office at a time when crime was much higher than it was, much higher than it was when we left. So I think uh, you know, I think the, the programs we built, the crime strategies unit focused on very intelligence-driven prosecution of folks who are driving violence, building out a cybercrime unit, a world-class cybercrime unit that made real advances in protecting New York institutions and, and individuals from cybercrime, did a lot on terrorism. You know, we, we did a lot of strong law enforcement actions. Today, um, it's com- it's more complicated even than it was then. I think it's for a couple of reasons, Cindy. Number one, we're seeing the sort of exhaust of several decades of our country not having, in New York City, not really having a focus plan on how to deal with the homeless, the mentally ill. Uh, and when those folks who were kicked out of Mental institutions in the 1970s. Fast forward to the 19 yeah, yeah. to the 2000s. They, and there are guys. Those, those are our, our guys in jail. There's a huge population of folks who are mentally un- destabilized in jail. So that's an underlying problem that I think uh, was triggered and then multiplied when COVID hit. And I think that goes the same, Cindy, for all other vulnerable areas. So those folks who may be drug addicted, those folks who are you know, who are homeless, as I say kids in disadvantaged communities who were no longer going to school and also didn't have the resources to connect with each other in healthy ways, even even online. So this is what's happening in New York, and it's happening everywhere else. But I, I believe think- that it's so, and I think it was a prior mayor was our dwarf, and the one we've got now is little Lord Fauntleroy. So I think that might have something to do with it. 
what does <laughs> I mean this will sound like I'm I'm a lunatic but what actually does a district attorney's office do I'm so happy to answer that because I think actually it's uh, we should all be teaching civics again in grade school so that we understand how local government and government works. The district attorney is elected. He's a, he or she is elected by the voters in the county in which she, she resides. In my case, it was Manhattan. Manhattan has about 1.6 million people at, who sleep uh, in Manhattan. And up until COVID, it was about three and a half million people during the daytime. So there was a huge shift in population. Uh, Manhattan had a 60 million visitors a year from out of town. Uh, so it also had an enormous population of, uh, you know, of tourists and visitors that affected crime in ways that I can explain. But what a DA does is works with the police department, essentially, in prosecuting cases that are resulting from street arrests by the police, a robbery, someone's arrested, comes down to the DA's office, the district attorney talks to the police officer and witnesses, writes that up as a complaint. Ultimately, may put that into a grand jury, which is required in order to prosecute as a felony. So the DA prosecutes, I'd say, 70 percent of the cases that are street crime, violent crime, all the way down to pickpocketing and, and misdemeanors. And then in our office, which is unique, 30 percent of the lawyers were investigators, investigators doing cases involving counterterrorism, terrorism, cybercrime, uh, major economic crime and the like. So that's what a DA does. In Manhattan, uh, 600 lawyers, uh, up to 100,000 cases a year. It's a, it's a very fast pace. It's dynamic, and it's also sometimes treacherous because you know, something can go wrong at, at any moment. Uh, but the job of the DA, obviously, is a, is a job that's focused on public safety. But increasingly, Cindy, and I think appropriately, uh, people are starting to realize, and I believe, that prosecuting is uh, – you've got to be tough on crime. I couldn't agree more. But I think there are ways that we can get better outcomes, uh, sometimes not by thinking that every case uh, that, that uh, should, results in an arrest should result in a prosecution. I'll, and I'll give you an example. Between 2010 and 2020, that time period I talked about, our office decreased low-level offenses that we prosecuted. These are minor misdemeanors, about 40 to 50 percent. Now, yeah. in that same time period, we reduced homicides, shootings, violent crime by enormous percentages. So the fact of the matter is we proved in that decade that you can be more thoughtful about prosecuting low-level offenders and try to figure out are there better alternatives than locking someone up for stealing a candy bar. Uh, at the same time, you can lower those numbers and lower crime. So I think there's a – you know, everyone's – very upset about what's going on in the city. But if we take ourselves five years back, we had a peace dividend where those policies really worked. Now, when COVID hit, that required us, and I was then, I was no longer after in, until in 2022, the DA, that would have required us to shift some of our policies because you got to, you know, you got to change when the ground game changes. And uh, I think that's, uh, that was, is what was frustrating people in the sense that, um, Given what was going on in the city, uh, we weren't we weren't um, addressing it with 
Uh, Addressing it my foot. I hate the people that we have now, and I don't want to argue with you because you're too brilliant. But we have dwarfs at this moment. Dwarfs, that's what we have. So can I ask you, what is cyber security? I don't know what that means. Well, when I was a young DA, cybercrime was stealing computers from the New York Post office, New York Post offices, taking them down to the loading dock and putting them in a truck and going away. That was what it was in the 80s. Cindy, cybercrime in all its forms, from identity theft to um, attacks on critical infrastructure to attacks on businesses with ransomware, this is by any by any definition the fastest growing crime threat and crime trend that we are facing in my personal opinion along with covid world conflict and climate cyber is a fourth c that is presenting us with almost an existential threat it is uh the the attackers are often from outside of our borders and very hard to uh to bring to justice uh the pace of cyber attacks of all the kinds I just described is, is, is elevating at an extraordinary rate. And so what it is, it's essentially cybercrime is using the Internet uh, for any okay. number of purposes okay. to commit crime. Okay. Tell us, for those of people who might be listening and who are 11 years old, tell us about your family. You come from a very celebrated father. Your father was Secretary of State, what, or what was he? I mean, tell us. Yeah, well, um, my dad was Secretary of State under Jimmy Carter, and he yeah. had been the Deputy Secretary of Defense under Bob McNamara, uh, under President Johnson, and then Secretary of the Army under uh, President Kennedy. So he had a long career in government, and uh, he was also a lawyer uh, here in the city, and a very, very nice guy. Uh, Good dad, yeah, sure. and uh, and that's who he was. And you know, no no question that his role model of being a lawyer and doing doing work that seemed even as a young boy to me to be important and it was satisfying to him was absolutely. So where did you uh, go to school? I went to school. I, I, I went to school in D.C. for a while. Went to grade school here in New York for a while. High school in Massachusetts. Uh, college at Yale, and then uh, went to law school at Georgetown after I had a couple of years working, interestingly, for a shipping company over in Africa. Are you, uh, since I know he was with the President Carter, are you close to the Carters? Do you speak to them? You know, I, no, I was never close to the Carters, not because I didn't like them, but because I really didn't socialize with them hardly at all. Um, so the answer is no, but not by choice, just because you know, I, I, I don't think my dad or, or my mother had a close personal relationship with Rosalind or, or Jimmy Carter. Not that they weren't friendly or friends, but it just wasn't a, a socializing relationship. Okay, we all know Cy Vance. We all know Cy Vance. What is Cy Vance doing at this moment now, so I can know? Well, I'm sitting on a stone wall looking at my motorcycle, which I just drove up from New York City. That's what oh, I'm doing motorcycle. right now. Oh, good God, yeah. Uh, okay. But I left when I left the DA's office. I joined the Baker McKenzie firm, which is a very large global firm and an excellent group of lawyers. And I'm chair of their cybersecurity practice. So uh, they have 50 maybe offices and 76 76 offices in 40 or 50 countries around the world. 
and cybercrime, when I left the DA's office, I really thought that um, I wanted to keep working sort of on public safety issues, but in the private sector, because I thought we needed to make some money. And also, it's a really interesting opportunity to do it on a global scale. So that's what I'm doing now. Uh, okay. Very fortunate in working. Right now, I'm a good girl. I'm not into any cybersecurity. And I thank you, thank you, thank you for coming on and letting me talk to you. It was such a pleasure, Si. Thank you, honey. Yes, pleasure for me. Thanks, Andy. Have a great weekend. Happy for Thank you, sweetie. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.